Chicanos played a huge part in pushing the limits of tattoo design to where it is today, not only in the U.S., but worldwide. Hear about how world-renowned artist Ed Hardy saved an East L.A. tattoo shop specializing in black and gray prison-style tattoo designs and how this art went from prisons in California exploding worldwide. Next on Technically a Conversation. Greetings, super friends. Welcome to another episode of Technically a Conversation. Here, we like to share an interesting topic with each other, which we've recently learned and hope you find it interesting too. I'm one half of your hosts, Isela. Joining me as always is the coolest person, Jose. How are you, Jose? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty good. Cannot complain. Are you saying that I'm the coolest person because I'm always cold? No, you're not always cold. <laughs> you tend to err on, on like the colder side. Yes. <laughs> no, you're always cool and like calm and like, you know, I don't think I've ever really seen you too upset. <laughs> I try not to get upset. That's not one of my best qualities, unfortunately, <laughs> or fortunately. It's not a good look. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> Sorry. Well, you know what time it is. It's out of time. <laughs> Here's the list, y'all. The royal and the most loyal queen, Elena. The duke, Stephen B. Elba, Crystal, Leon, and book recommender. Leon, so sorry we missed you last week. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for showing us some podcast love. Was that pod love? Pod love? Yeah. <laughs> and thank you for sharing our post on your social media. As metal as you are, Jose, I do find it odd that you don't have any tattoos. Well, you've never seen the one that I have on my butt. That's why. Oh. <laughs> wow. I was, that's, yeah, I, I'm a visual person. You can't see things to me. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I don't have one on my butt. Yeah. I know we've talked about this, that you don't have any either. Even back in your band days, did you ever want a tattoo? I did. <gasps> Do tell, what did you want? it of or what was the design i actually wanted to get the crimson ghost from the misfits tattooed here on my arm and that i actually got because i saw cliff burton from metallica that was the tattoo that he had and i always thought it looked super cool and i thought well the misfits are disbanded so they can never put out anything that i'm not gonna like i like everything they've done so far you know they've gone back together and they put out two really great albums and they put out a lot of very mediocre stuff so kind of glad I didn't get that, but it still looks really cool, the Crimson Ghost. So I don't think I would have regretted it too much had I gotten it. It's kind of an iconic piece of art. I mean, I I see that on a lot of people's shirts and stuff like that. So yeah, that would be kind of cool. I, I could see that. What about you, Isela? What would you have gotten tattooed? Uh, so there is a, a chemical compound of dopamine that I would actually like to get still. So one day I'll get that done. I thought you were going to say you were going to get the chemical compound for rainbow fentanyl tattooed on you. You really like this rainbow fentanyl. <laughs> Everything is rainbow fentanyl for you. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't even imagine what that would look like. That's got to be like a gazillion compounds. Yeah, who knows? I only know about it because of the news. Apparently, it's a big deal. 
but <laughs> I don't know anybody who uses it or I don't even think I know anybody who's actually seen it. <laughs> I haven't either, only on the news as well. <laughs> yeah. But today's topic was the suggestion from super friend Noelle. Thank you so much for sending that in. I learned so much. I watched so many documentaries, but this was also because I was so sucked into all the background stories, all these different countries that I could not possibly put it into one single episode, which means for today, I thought it would be cool to concentrate our chat more about how Chicanos pushed tattoo design in several ways, specifically three men, Charlie Cartwright, Jack Rudy, and Freddie Negretti, and how they took Chicano art and combined it into tattoo design. Naturally, we'll talk a little bit about world history of tattoos, move on to why tattoos might have a negative association, but ultimately, like I said, focusing on those three men. Sounds interesting. Cool. Outside of the U.S., quick history of tattoos in general, Egypt is where we see the oldest tattoos on two mummies. They are 5,000 years old. Also, how cool would that be if Egyptologists just like messed up their vowels and King Tut was actually King Tat? What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Did they also have the Crimson Ghost tattooed on them? Not yet. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Ancient Greeks, Chinese also had tattoos. From the beginning, tattoos were not just for boys. A Siberian princess, who was about 2,500 years old, also had aesthetic tattoos. A man whom was nicknamed Utsi. Do you remember the caveman that was found in all this ice? He was really well preserved. In Siberia or something? In Alps, yeah. Okay, so that guy turned out he died back in 3250 BC, and he had an astonishing 61 tattoos. Holy shit. I know. How cool is that? I mean, this guy was like, he was inventing the sleeve before it. I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> he just had dots and lines. And it actually looks like these were done for medicinal purposes. We know these were not for aesthetic reasons because the location of all of these 61 tattoos correspond to where he had joint and spinal issues. That makes sense. Tattoo a little bit of Vicks Vaporub on you and you'll be good as new. Maybe that's what they were rubbing in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so right off the bat, we know ancient tattoos were both decorative and medicinal. Given all this history, when did tattoos become associated with anything negative? Any guesses? That is a very good question. I would imagine around the time that prisoners thought that it would be a good idea to start getting them. So I think that's when the association came with people that had tattoos or reformed prisoners or um, they're up to no good or something. That's an excellent thing to say because that is absolutely true. And we'll get into that in just a moment, but it does go back a little further in history, starting with the best-selling book of all time. The Da Vinci Code. The Bible. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're so silly. The Bible has sold well over 5 billion copies, which could be a good indication of how many followers are behind it. The Hebrew Bible in Leviticus states, you shall not make gashes in the flesh for the dead or incise marks on yourselves, which was especially awful when prisoners of Auschwitz were forced to get tattooed numbers on their forearms. In the New Testament Bible, the book of Corinthians states, or do you not know that your body is a temple 
of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. So that seems pretty heavy. And it basically says, so glorify God in your body. I had kind of heard that before. I can't remember the name of the guy, but it's the singer for Disturbed. And um, he was asked one time if he had any tattoos. And he said that he didn't because um, he was Jewish and it was against their religion to get tattooed. And he said, even though I don't, I'm not a practicing Jew, it would go against my religion and I wouldn't be able to be buried in some type of uh, cemetery or something. Yeah, I've heard that a lot too. I respect it either way. I mean, it's a, it's definitely a belief. It's definitely a personal choice. And there's plenty of Christians, obviously, that still do it despite, you know, all these things. And to expose both sides of the coin, the Apostle Paul also said in, the, in that New Testament Bible, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord. So when I get my tattoo, Jose, I'm going to just be like, as I always say, what's good for the Apostle Paul? <laughs> Let me know how that works for you. Yeah. <laughs> if, if they're standing in front of the gates of heaven, right? Not letting me in. I'm like, but it was good for Paul. <laughs> According to Pew Research article, Christianity is still the largest religion group as of 2015, with almost a third of the Earth's population identifying themselves as Christian. So it's possible to infer that nearly a third might believe that tattooing your body is wrong. Next up is Muslims. They're the next largest religion, weighing in at almost a quarter of the population. And the majority of Muslims also believe that tattoos are forbidden. That's the world in very, very general terms, crudely based on religion. Heavy emphasis on general terms. Natives often get tribal tattoos. In the past, this was done with, get this, Jose, a sharpened bone or rock. It would create an open wound and soot would be rubbed into the wound to leave a permanent stain. That seems pretty rough. It does. I think I would probably have to respectfully pass on that. <laughs> I know. Doesn't that sound painful? And oh, that just sounds really bad. <laughs> <laughs> Both indigenous men and women would get tattoos. Men usually got tattoos to mark a victory of battle. Others believe it could bring them supernatural powers of protection. In fact, you and I were just talking about Jason Momoa. That tattoo that he got was a tattoo of protection. I don't know if you knew that. I don't think I really looked into it too much. I saw some clip on YouTube and he was explaining that it was a tattoo of protection for him, his family, etc. So it's kind of cool that people still, you know, put this into practice. And speaking about Jason Momoa, I do like how for Aquaman, some of the tattoos that he have, they looked almost like the fish scales or, or fish fins or whatever they're called. The scales, yeah. I thought that was a cool little detail. I do agree. Those, I mean, I know they're fake for the movie, but they did a really cool job. They look really freaking cool. Yeah. And it makes him look metal as fuck too. <laughs> it does. <laughs> including that little scar that he's got on his, on his, uh, what is his eyebrow? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So back to the tattoos. Of course, Christian missionaries came around the 1800s and they really started looking down upon the practice of tattooing. This should be noted, this was everywhere, not just, you know, with the natives. You know, that good old colonization, <laughs> imposing their opinions and their values, which, if you think about it, it kind of sounds like a complete stranger karate kicking your door down and telling you that the way you're living is wrong. It just sounds very messed up. Although it was more extreme because they were murdered. Right. Oh, yeah. I'm being very <laughs> nice about that. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. You're right. You're right. Later, as our armed forces went abroad, they saw other cultures with tattoos, and it was common for sailors to return to the U.S. sporting new ink that they either got in the foreign country or from each other. Sailing across the sea gave the sailors an abundance of time to pass. And what they would do is just tattoo each other. And that seems pretty, that seems pretty rough. Like, I got all this time in the world. Let me perfect my heart or something like that. <laughs> you know, it makes sense. They didn't have any internet, so there was nothing else to do. How boring. I do feel a little bit bad, but I mean, this is kind of how, that is kind of cool how tattoos had started. Like, just time on their hands. Hey, come here. Let's permanently <laughs> mark each other. <laughs> and in those days... Ink was made of gunpowder and urine. You heard me. Boswell. I mean, I salute these men because I would certainly not be a willing participant on urine. Come on, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> the Navy was one of the first groups to widely accept tattoos. They usually had, you know, common patriotic designs, flags, etc. Others were commonly known to represent something. For example, an anchor meant you crossed the Atlantic. A pig or a rooster was said to protect you from a shipwreck. I don't know why. I just know that that's, <laughs> that's what it meant. <laughs> <laughs> the earliest tattoo shop that I read about was in 1846. Martin Hildebrandt had a permanent tattoo shop in New York City where he tattooed servicemen specifically. It was rumored that servicemen were forcibly tattooed to discourage them from deserting or going AWOL. I didn't know that AWOL stands for absent without official leave. <laughs> I felt so dumb. I've used that so many times. But anyway, little embedded fun fact there. This was not anything new, though. Ancient Persians, Greeks, Romans, Chinese, and Japanese also tattooed their slaves for the same reason, to discourage them from running away. Side fun fact. As recently as 1993 in India, policemen tattooed pickpocket on the foreheads of four women who were repeat offenders. Dude, that's best up on your forehead. Yeah. And I can imagine their penmanship is probably not best either. <laughs> yeah, it was probably super chuffa. <laughs> but to be fair, I do think this is what they deserved. The policemen actually were sentenced to jail time for this. Those are the breaks. <laughs> anyway, that's definitely too recent. We got to go back to the past. Moving on to the 50s. Mostly men were getting tattooed at this time. One by one, each state began to make tattooing illegal. New York made it illegal in 1961, and they cited health reasons, blaming the rise of hepatitis on tattooing. The very next day, it was made illegal in New York. Like a true New Yorker's, I give no fucks attitude, Tom DeVita tacitly opened up his shop in one of the roughest areas of Manhattan in Alphabet City back in that day. And what are the three key elements to having a successful business? Location, location, location. And this was also true on the West Coast. Tattoo shops had to be in really gritty parts of town. Many artists had to have needle names to protect their family from any shame. Tom DeVita would often work late in the night just to avoid being seen and caught. If you were caught in the 60s, it was a $500 fine. <laughs> yeah, it is a lot. Which would be just over about $5,000 today or 4,400 sterling pounds. How much would that be in handkerchiefs? 
That would be a gazillion. Oh, boy. <laughs> That's the worst handkerchief. <laughs> Most hurtful of all, the tattoo equipment would be confiscated. Because tattoos were illegal, if you had them, you were viewed as a criminal. This is definitely where that recent negative association began. The documentary, Transforming Lives with Tattoos, link in the show notes, talked about the pike. This is where all the artists who were really good and well-known were slowly starting to get better. It was very common. This is where you go if you want a good tattoo. The pike is in Long Beach, California, by the way. Shout out Snoop Dogg. Oh. Isn't he from Long Beach? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> That's so funny. I think so is Sublime, no? Oh, I don't know. I don't listen to them. Well, oh, no. <laughs> don't come for me. <laughs> okay. I know, uh, I know he's, I know Snoop is definitely from Southern Cal somewhere. I don't know. Anyway, um, location was perfect because there was so many military training sites close by. So the military had their semi-monthly paydays, and this is when their shops were so busy that sometimes they would not even close for three days straight. That sounds like a lot of money was being made. Much like today, there were pictures, what they call flash, and you walk in, you choose your design off the wall, and you walk out with it somewhere on your person. The most you could do to customize it is change the color. And that's maybe. They used to say, if we don't have it on the wall, we don't have it. Like, don't even come. You know, <laughs> don't even come if you want something customized. In the 1970s, tattoos were really widely accepted with no judges in one area. La Pinta, which is Spanish slang for prison, which is exactly what you said. That's your admittedly bad Spanish word of the week. May you never have to use it. <laughs> <laughs> Similar to sailors, again, we see the advantage of having time on your hands. The artwork here began to truly blossom. The people behind this body art were mostly our people, Jose. You're Mexican-Americans. They were Chicanos. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. So let's explain the quick rise of Mexican immigration, which is funny because Texas and Southern California was actually Mexico before it was America. And we got to talk about the immigration, but, you know, let's leave that aside. <laughs> the first big surge of Mexican immigrants, according to the Library of Congress, was between 1910 and 1930, when our census numbers tripled from 200,000 to 600,000. I love this article, too, because it called out El Paso, Texas as being the Mexican Ellis Island. What is that? La Isla de Ellis? <laughs> 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 Professor Vigil from UC Irvine talked specifically about the Mexican-American young adults in 1940s Pachuco culture. They had their own very own smooth style. It was wide brim hats, wide legged pants with tight cuffs, an oversized suit jacket to match, also known as zoot suits. And a big part of their appearance, too, was the Pachuco cross tattooed on their hand. And that really symbolized that they belonged to an outsider group. The same professor worded it wonderfully, saying that it was almost like you were baptized in the streets with that cross. That's a great, that was a really powerful sentence. Usually just a small cross. Sometimes the dots were added or a heart with their girlfriend's names. Names. This is as customized as tattoos get. And from what I got from the documentary, our people were the first ones doing that. 
returning back to the 70s, the new generation of pachucos were called cholos, meaning still part of a gang, still being marginalized. And that's where, you know, they were kind of like the solos, but that's where the derivation came and cholo was born. I didn't know that either. I didn't know that either. <laughs> I, I've definitely heard the word. I just didn't know where it derived. I just figured it was something derogatory that my mom would say. <laughs> say to you? Oh my goodness. <laughs> no, not to me, but um, we would be out on the street and you know how moms like to be judgy and everything. Oh, for sure. It's like, ah, mira, vienen los cholos. Unos cholos allá. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and then she would get mad when I would go, <laughs> so, cállate, cállate. <laughs> You are you're giving up the R2D to speak. <laughs> <laughs> I was a chicken, so I didn't dare pull any stunts like that. Me neither, don't worry. Cholos had their own uniform for lack of a better word. You had the white t-shirts under a plaid shirt, a bandana, down to what you drove, was impeccably clean. And most likely it was what we call a low rider, simply meaning it's very low to the ground. This documentary also had Danny Trejo. I really like him. He explained Cesar Chavez was starting to drum up brown pride, and it became more and more common to see people with Mexican flags, Mexican soldiers like Emiliano Zapata, Mexican women tattooed on themselves. Inside the prisons, Mexicans were drawing deeply meaningful images on handkerchiefs, anything that reminded them of their life outside the Virgin Mary, a cross, etc. As the artists got better, some of them started tattooing those images or would get those images tattooed, even though it was also illegal to get tattoos in prison, as it still is today. This was truly the only place you could go if you wanted a customized tattoo, prison. And that's exactly where Danny Trejo got his tattoo of the Mexican woman on his chest in San Quentin a prison in California. Since tattoos were still illegal in prison, they had to get resourceful. We were the OG MacGyvers, right? <laughs> <laughs> the artists, what they would use was the E-string of a guitar and a toothbrush, all hand done, no machines, just like hand poked. That sounds so painful. Doesn't sound very hygiene either. No, 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 no. So now I'm going to introduce one of the three that I was mentioning earlier, Freddie Negretti. He was a key Mexican-American tattoo artist in East L.A. His backstory is his mom was Jewish and his dad was a pachuco. He really didn't know how to identify whether white or Mexican. So he kind of already had that identity struggle. When both of his parents went to prison, it left Freddie and his sister in foster homes. He does admit that this probably led him to being a troubled youth. He joined a Hispanic gang and he went in and out of juvenile detention centers. This is where he saw an older kid, 15 or 16 years old, and he had tattoos and he was really curious on how he got them. So he started talking to the kid and the kid told him how to make his own needle, his own tattoo needle. He said the day he got out of prison was the day that he set up his homemade tattoo equipment. And soon thereafter, he started giving neighborhood tattoos. The first rotary tattoo machine was made out of a cassette motor, which came out of prison. When prison started to become overpopulated back in the 70s, administration noticed that tensions were eased if cassette players were provided 
to inmates so that they could listen to music. Dude, music has been therapeutic since the beginning of time then. (laughs) Okay, I know I've been talking, so I'm going to take a quick moment for our sponsors here. And then when we come back, going to talk about Freddie Negretti and the two other people. Hi, this is Dakota, host of ContraZoom Pod, where we go back and forth about film. I am obsessed with movies. I could talk about them all day. And if you're like me, then you'll love my podcast. Every week we take a new topic, whether it's ranking a director's filmography, covering major film festivals, or getting way into Oscar season. While every week is different, we do have some recurring topics, like our Make Remake series looking at an original film and its remake, or our very popular A History Of program, taking an in-depth look, looking at some of the biggest companies involved in film, including Criterion, A24, and Neon. It isn't all super serious topics, though, as we always need to play catch-up with all the hottest Marvel Cinematic Universe news and general pop culture goings-on. There's something for every kind of movie lover, whether you want reviews, interviews, or in-depth conversations. ContraZoom Pod is found on all podcatcher apps, and visit ContraZoomPod.com for even more information. If you like all things spooky, then check out A Spooky Tales, hosted by us, Christina, and MJ, where we talk about all things spooky, paranormal stories, haunted places, myths, and legends. Listen to guests tell us their scary stories. And I hear them call me by by my name. So I run into the kitchen to check, and there's nobody there. And I start to, like, hear... Like my closet door start to open. Oh hell no! Like, oh my god! Inside. Oh hell no! All of a sudden, for no reason, I woke up in the middle of the night. Like my eyes just snapped open, and it's that strange feeling that you have when something wakes you up. You and you don't know what has woken you up until you either see what it was or you hear whatever it was. There are new episodes every Friday. Listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts, as well as at SpookyTales.com. And we're back. How was your break? Good. No, uh, no tattoos? Well, I got a small little cross on my hand, and that was about it. There you go. Was it painful? Eee, ah. <laughs> little bit. I made it with a guitar string and a tape motor, so. Oh, you do have guitar strings. Oh, my God. That's true. <laughs> that's right. Next time we hang out, that's what we're going to do. We're going to give ourselves. We're going to be like, I call this the pale black dot. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Instead of the pale blue dot. <laughs> you know, I actually have a friend who has one of those um, homemade tattoo machines. Oh, really? Yeah, and he's offered to tattoo me, but I've had to graciously decline every <laughs> single time. But this guy's crazy because like he, when he gets bored, he'll just start tattooing himself. Like he'll just sit down and start tattooing his legs and everything. I guess that's the only way you're going to get better though, right? He's, he's a really good artist. Oh, well, then so why are you saying no? I mean, shit, if it's free, come on. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what this guy's art looks like anyway. <laughs> no, it's actually really good. Oh, wow. That's that's really cool. That's very generous of him. Yeah. Well, if you ever want a uh, tattoo made with a homemade 
guitar string and uh, tape motor. I'll I'll definitely let them know for you. <laughs> tape motor, great. <laughs> so going back to that, during those times, the ink that they used, thankfully, no urine needed. Get out of here, urine. <laughs> Prisoners would burn different types of pages. Bible pages, magazine pages, catalogs, these would all produce different shades of black. And then if you mix the ashes with a little water, that's what they would use. Also, if you left the ink on the needle and let it evaporate, you would get a really dark black. Add a little baby oil, you would still get another shade. This is when tones gave the true depth and shading and gave the tattoos clear dimensions. The expertise was better than anything than it was outside of prisons. This is where the famous black and gray tattoos began, also known as prison tattoos, but black and gray sounds a lot better. (laughs) (laughs) Freddie Negretti credits uh, Youth Authority for making him a tattoo artist because he was working in a print shop. And this is where he started printing out some of his tattoos uh, or tattoo designs that he had drawn on pages and stuff like that. And then he would put them on stationery and people use that stationery and would send it to prisons and send it all over the country. And the cool thing is, is you'll see where his tattoo designs end up showing up in one of the most famous shops later. More to come. Another key artist is Jack Rudy, also known as El Huero. He started to tattoo by hand at the age of 15, and he used his dad's electric razor to make his own tattoo machine. I'm telling you, we're super inventive. But that's Jack Rudy. But I'll tell you about why they call him El Huero. Although he wasn't Mexican, um, his dad was Mexican, but he was adopted. So that was why he lived in a Mexican area of town. He was all into the Chicano subculture and lowriders, etc. And hence... His dad gave him the nickname of El Huero. El Huero had his first big break when he went to a tattoo shop and just started doodling on a page. One of the artists that was working there, Charlie Cartwright, was impressed by El Huero's talent. And Charlie told El Huero, hey, when I open my own tattoo shop, I'll bring you on. And sure enough, 1974 in East L.A., he brought on El Huero and it was called Good Time Charlie's, the tattoo shop. Good time, Charlie, sounds really fucking cool. I'd want to go just to see what the good time's about. Their approach was very different from the others. He said, whatever they want, who cares? Just give it to them. This proved to be a great strategy because that place was busy. At this time, there were between three and seven needle tattoo machines. And yet there was a lot of demand from clients for fine line tattoos which the machines couldn't do because the smallest machine had three needles. The reason why they demanded it, they had seen it from the E-string work. They eventually figured out how to pull out one single needle from the three-needle machine, and now they leveled out the playing field for the prison and outside. Everything's the same now. The very famous Ed Hardy would come off into the pike just to see all the artwork that was going on. And uh, just a little background on Ed Hardy. He's not like a key part of the the Chicano culture, but he does play a part and you'll see how cool it was. But I'll give you some background story on him. From a very young age, he knew that this was his calling, being a tattoo artist. He graduated from the San Francisco Art Institute in 1967. He even turned down a teaching gig at Yale just to be a tattoo artist. That's pretty cool. 
Ed was famous for merging Japanese-style large tattoos and Western themes. Ed was also all in for customized, unique tattoos. In fact, his very first business card says, Wear your dreams. Dude, that's hella catchy. Wear your dreams. By the time the 1977 convention rolled around in Reno, Ed Hardy had already been established as one of the best in the world. El Huero convinced Charlie to head there just to simply see what's up. When Jack, Charlie, and the others came out to the convention floor, a crowd gathered around simply to awe at their tattoos. The convention was where art students now met good old-fashioned street art. Ed Hardy jumped at the chance to meet El Huero and Charlie. He graciously praised the work on them, and Ed Hardy and his team really had a reset of limits mentally on what could really be done with tattoos. It was the birth of photorealism tattoos, where you would normally not be able to see this type of ink unless you did time. Ed Hardy asked if it was okay to come out to Good Time Charlie's, and they said, yeah, come on over. And Ed was eager to learn and get tattooed by them. Ed loved learning the gang writing, which I thought was funny. He called it the calligraphic style, which is basically like the, you know, like the hood or the California that you see on uh, Adam Levine's stomach and stuff like that. (laughs) One day in 1977, El Huero called Ed Hardy in a panic and said, Charlie's going to retire. I don't know what I'm going to do, Holmes. This was admirable because Charlie had everything he wanted. He was married. He had three healthy kids. He had his pickup truck. Therefore, this was the time that he wanted to just take time off, get to know his family, and stop working all the time. Ed Hardy knew how important this shop was to the tattooing scene, so he bought the business from Charlie just to keep it open. Around this time, Freddie Negretti His name started to bubble up a lot at the shop, not because he had worked there yet, but because he heard about the shop. And so when he would have really cool pieces done, he would say, go to that tattoo shop and show them what I've done. (laughs) So it was like the best human business card. El Huero asked to meet Freddie and Freddie went with, you know, a folder of his stuff. And when he went in, he said, hey, I drew all of these. And he kind of pointed out at a couple of uh, the items that were on the flash. And Jack, uh, Jack Rudy was like, oh, everybody says that. Everybody says their uncle drew it in prison, etc. And Freddie said, no, I really did. And he showed him the folder. Thankfully, in the folder that he had brought, he had the original designs. So El Huero let Freddie audition. And it's go time, baby. All the standard tattoos are there, you know, all the flash. And he says, no, I don't, I don't want to do any of those. And he says, okay, well, let me get you some ditto paper. And this is standard for any tattoo shop. And this actually started in prison also. And Freddie said, no, 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 that's okay. I don't don't even need ditto paper. Freddie had learned a trick on how to memorize a design without the ditto paper. This is cool as shit. This is stuff that you can't learn in school. It's born out of not having money to buy ditto paper. And this is where I think Ed Hardy's team would never know what that problem's about. This set the stage for Freddie to show off as he planned a little bit. And he did a free hand-drawn piece of a woman's face. And El Huero hired Freddie right on the spot. He said it was beautiful. And this meant this was the first true cholo gangster, in his words, that was hired to tattoo other people professionally. Up until then, it's Good Time Charlie, which is Charlie Cartwright, 
Jack Rudy, El Güero, these guys never did time. Freddie did. He was a genuine part of this subculture. When Ed Hardy came to see Freddie work, he also wanted to share some of his own, and Freddie was completely mind blown. I have a little clip. And when I saw these tattoos, this shit blew me away. I almost came flying out of my socks. I was like, what? First of all, it was back piece after back piece. I didn't even know what a back piece was. Our thing was this. You put a tattoo here, you put one there, you fit another one in here, one there. Just like my tattoos until you're all covered with tattoos all around. Little badges. Ed Hardy's the one that named them badge style tattoos, you know? But, you know, a whole back, one picture on a whole back, a whole thing on somebody's arm, you know, these suits. I never saw Japanese tattooing. I never saw tattooing And then Ed Hardy's like, hey, look what I'm doing, Holmes, with, with black and gray, mixing black and gray and color. And now all of a sudden he had this crazy skeleton guy with his hair and it's all in black and gray. And he's stepping on these stepping stones with rushing water and Japanese style with color. I was like, oh my God, I don't know shit. This clip warms my heart so much because I love hearing how excited he was seeing that new style and how cool it was for two artists from complete different backgrounds sharing their passion with each other. The shop had to be moved a little bit further down the street, and Ed respectfully never gave any direction at Good Time Charlie's. This is the part that I really loved, that even though he saved the shop, he never said, oh, you guys should do this. He just saved it and was like, all right, you guys keep on trucking. But now that they were going to move the shop, it was very different. It's a new shop, has a new name. It was called Tattoo Land. And he even brought his own people. Ed had brought his own people. Everything was different and in a good way. Ed had sinks at every station. All the artists had to wear gloves. They had to use sterilizers, which is a really good way to change things, in my opinion, right? You always want to be safer and more hygienic. Ed had suggested to Freddie Negretti to drop the nickname of El Coyote and to just be Freddie Negretti. And he said, uh, you know, the fine line tattooing is very prison speak. Let's call it black and gray. And what great mentorship. This means that Freddie was able to appeal to a wider market, one that would be beyond East L.A. Difficult situations arose, like two brothers who wanted to belong to a gang. They had tattooed each other with the gang name. And when the two were walking down the street, an opposing gang member saw that they had the tattoo and they shot and killed the 16-year-old. The younger brother came in and asked if he could get the tattoo covered up. But the law states you have to be 18. Therefore. The lady turned him down. There was one lady who worked at the shop. And two hours later, the mom came in begging, explaining that the cover-up would save her son's life. The tattoo artist understood, and she definitely covered it up. But she went on to say how they knew what they were doing had some real heavy burdens. Um, and, you know, there was some real big implications. And it was a really neat observation that she said. People that were often mixed up in activities which brought them closer to death, gang members and such, they were usually the ones who tended to get images of redemption, you know, like a cross, a Virgin Mary, etc. So I, I thought that was pretty interesting. Before the Chicano culture, tattoos did not take on a deep or soulful meaning. It was just something a little more basic, pictures of cats or a flag. Whereas Chicanos had images of their childhood across Virgin Mary, their child, their mom. And 
quick pause. This is what I've always personally loved. I internally cringe when I see a barbed wire tattoo. Like, what is that all about? It seems pointless. <laughs> Unpause. Freddie, the king of black and gray, was hungry to keep pushing his artistic limits. He respected Ed Hardy a lot, and he knew he wanted to learn from him. So he would often go to San Francisco and Ed would let him stay with him at his house. Freddie did not want to be limited to like just one style. Oh, he's only good at this. So after a lot of studying, he finally did his first back piece. You have to see it. Jose. It's a huge Virgin Mary on a back and uh, she's really beautiful and realistic. And the robe she wears has like depth and the roses on the background. Uh, there's like a backdrop with just these beautiful like colored roses. Her arms are outstretched and uh, there's a pretty woman's face uh, on the back, the, the black part of the robe on one hand and the same on the other side, the, the same opposite side in the black of the robe is a skull. So he mixed this like surrealism with uh, realism at the same time uh, and colors, which he never really did before. He was like, you know, black and gray. You have to see it. It was beautiful. Even Ed Hardy says that he remembers it and he was just completely blown away. This again, raised the bar even further. By the way, it wasn't until 1997 that the state of New York legalized tattoos again. 1997 is really recent. <laughs> Oklahoma was the very last state. You know when they legalized it? Last year. 2006. Damn. I know, that's a really long time. But that sums up our tattoo artists. I personally really loved this idea of Chicanos being resourceful, memorizing, just being amazing artists. And Ed Hardy being born and bred and learned all this art, which is great and not to take away from that at all. His stuff is amazing. But I loved how they still collaborated together. They still were, you know, in their words, homies. And uh, I don't know, it, it was just, it was an amazing doc. Like you have to see some of these. That definitely sounds very interesting. Oh my God. Yeah, it was, it was the coolest one. Um, we'll leave a link to it for sure. But I did want to say that I think what people saw in these designs were something that really meant something to that person that was wearing it. And that, when you know that this is like a passion of theirs or something that they really love, and, uh, you know, you kind of get intrigued by it. Oh, tell me about this piece or who is this person or like whatever. I think that's kind of where that love started to be shared by other people. And they kind of wanted that too. What, why do you think this art took off? I think everybody's looking for something to be individualistic and kind of showing off their individualism. But, um, you know, again, as somebody that doesn't have tattoos, I can't speak of it personally, but that's just what I imagine. It's like, I'm an individual and I want you to know it by me showing you what that individualism is. Yeah, I can definitely see that. There was a, a famous Italian tattoo artist in the documentary. And he even said, as of about 2011, people in Europe had started asking for the Chicano-style tattoos. A, a Europe? That sounds, <laughs> that sounds insane. I think that's really amazing that our art and our, the things that we love, you know, lowriders and stuff like that, that it's crossed so many, like, borders. I think it's really freaking cool. So that's, that's really it. That's all I had for our, I know it was a lot, but oh my God, how cool that freaking Chicanos had such a huge hand in it, I think. Yeah, that was something that I was not aware of. 
I had heard of Ed Hardy, but I had never heard of Freddie Negrete before. Well, congratulations, lovelies. You've done it again. You've learned along with us. For any of those big enough to admit that they still had a negative view of tattoos, I hope we shed a little light. And next time you see a tattoo on someone, hopefully you see it with a little more intrigue than judgment. We hope you've entertained, you've been entertained by our chat and invite you to join us again next week. If you're enjoying the show, follow us on all the socials, but leave us a review, tell a friend and subscribe wherever you're listening now. Also, don't forget to leave us a voicemail at 915-317-6669 if you have a story to share with us. Or if you just want to say hello. And we're at greetings TAC on all the socials.